Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear 18-year-old Natalie, life is a beautiful thing. Many opportunities will come your way, but your path will be very clear. Difficulties will arrive in abundance, but take courage. You are strong. Be kind always, and you will never have any regrets. Before you know it, you'll look back over the years and realize that your life has been incredibly blessed. Love always, your future self, Nat. Today on the podcast, I have Natalie Hansen. She's a mother of three beautiful boys, and I first met her when they moved to Dallas. She loves to get involved. She's a friend to everyone and always the first to sign up to help anybody She's an incredible person and she shares about an experience she had when she was young and two of her siblings died in a tragic car accident. She shares about how she was supposed to be on that trip and how she felt losing her siblings and what her family went through and continues to to still mourn. She is such an amazing person because she has used the pain that she has felt and used it to help others and to serve and do good. And she recently started a company called Perlu. They're a diaper bag company and they just launched last week. And so congratulations to her. A lot of hard work has been put into these amazing diaper bags and I'm proud of my friend for all the hard work that she's done. I hope that you enjoy my chat with Natalie. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Yes, it's so fun to be here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I kind of feel like it was a cruel trick that we were in Utah and then I was so excited to see you and I texted you. I'm like, when do I get to see you? You're like, actually, we moved to Utah over Christmas break. I'm like, we moved to Texas over Christmas break. And so we just switched places, but I'm sure our paths will cross again. Yes, I hope so. I hope they cross very soon. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and where you grew up and what you were like as a kid. Yeah, of course. Okay, so I was the fourth of five children. I've got two older sisters, an older brother, and then I've got um, one little brother. We moved around quite a bit when I was a little kid, but ended up in the beautiful Heber City, Utah, um, which is where I went through middle school and high school. So when I you know, have to claim somewhere that I grew up, I claim Heber. And for as long as I can remember, my family members have been my best friends, as I, you know, when I'm talking about what I was like as a child. Um, in high school, <laughs> I could honestly remember that I would have rather hung out with my mom on a Friday night than uh, go out with friends. And that's just because it was just easy to be around my family. And I love that. And my little brother who... really cool, so I don't... <laughs> yeah, they are. They're just the best. My mom, is. she's just great. And I'm sure we'll talk about her later. But my little brother was six years older than I... Or younger than I am. And... Even though, I don't know, even though it was like a decent gap between us, we were the only two at home for a while and we were just attached to the hip. So 
I mean, overall, I guess you could say I'm a bit of a homebody in that sense. Um, definitely was growing up. I think maybe in my uh, adult years, I have flourished a little bit more, but definitely growing up, I loved to be with my people. That's awesome. And what was your personality like? Probably pretty go- outgoing, similar-ish to now, but you know, I was involved in a lot. I, I played a lot of sports. I We had horses growing up, so I was involved in 4-H and you know, the fair every year. So we definitely interacted with a lot of people, and I thrived off, off of those interactions. I will say I've always been a little bit of an old soul, and for some reason, old people, like, I mean, really old people that you'd find in a assisted living center, old people, I've just always connected with them. And I've loved adults. And maybe that's the reason why I like taking out with my mom, not that she's old, but I just always <laughs> connected. She'll hate that I am, you know, categorizing her as an old person. But I just always connected with people that were older than me way faster than people my own age. And so yeah, growing up, I definitely, you know, became friends with my teachers or the people that I was learning from really quickly. I can just picture you in elementary school and recess is going on and all these girls are being like catty and <laughs> all this stuff. And you're just, guys, let's not do that. So funny. In high school, when I think it's my senior year in soccer, all of the captains, we were given a nickname that was printed on like the sleeve of our t-shirt and mine was mom. <laughs> and at the time I was like, that's so rude. But looking back now, I really just, I don't know. I have like this mothering instinct where I take all of the people under my wing and, you know, try to help them, well, <laughs> help them along the way. I feel like when I first met you, I remember Monroe was just like a baby. And I feel like most moms that start out super overwhelmed, you know, and I came over to visit you and I was like, how's it going? And you were just like, well, I can clean my house really fast. And he basically just sleeps. I'm actually kind of bored. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> Nobody said that. I remember just being like, how does anyone even function? How does anyone even get out of the house? And you were like, yeah, it's been pretty easy. I, you were meant to have kids and meant to not only take care of them, but take care of all the other people around you too. I was always just amazed. How does she do it? She gets oh, you're so sweet. So... Oh, you're sweet. I do. I do love, I do love my kiddos. So <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about your mom. I remember you telling me that she used to wake up four in the morning, do scripture study and exercise and everything. And I want to hear more about your mom. Oh yeah, of course. She's incredible. I mean, literally incredible in every sense of the word. And as I grow older and I have children of my own and I am a mother and I experience, you know, a little bit more of life my respect for my mother just continues to grow. Uh, to just just paint a little picture of like what her routine, morning routine has been for as long as I can remember. I'm not sure that this is how it was, you know, when when her kids were, when we were little, little, but as long as I can remember, she has woken up around 4.30 a.m. so that she could exercise for an hour, have an hour to read and do her personal study. And then at 6.30, all of us kids were up to do our family scripture study and eat breakfast together. And I didn't understand that this was not normal until I think I left for college. But 
we had a hot breakfast every single day that she cooked for us. And, you know, now that I'm a little bit older and I've asked her, you know, why, why was this routine so important for you? Why did you do this? She said, you know, when you have five little kids, there's not a lot of time in the day that you get to yourself. And so for her, you know, like what fueled her soul and what she needed was those two hours in the morning where it was quiet and peaceful and she could do something that was purely for her. And I, you know, I, I really appreciate that now that I'm a mom recognizing what it is that feeds your soul and then, you know, making time for it. And I mean, I just have a lot of respect that she was willing to do those at the hours of the day that she did them because I don't think I could ever function at 4.30 a.m. But no, that's amazing. My kids wake me up at 6.30. I'm like, oh, it's so early. What are you doing? (laughs) Seriously. She's amazing. And she seems like she just has so much energy. She does. She has more energy than anyone I have ever met in my whole life. Like she wakes up early. She goes hard all day. She goes to bed tired. But I would say one of the things that I love and respect most about my mom is that she just has a heart of gold. She is constantly looking for ways to serve others and in a way that is not like the obvious way of serving people. It it often is very emotionally connected and she, she just has a way of connecting with people's hearts and and she serves people by by like giving a piece of herself to them and showing them that there is just like so much love and peace in this world. I don't know. She's so good at just loving people so freely and openly and always finds that person that doesn't have a friend or, you know, is sitting alone somewhere. She just goes out of her way to really care for the people that she loves, but also those that might be lacking in receiving that love. That's so sweet. And, you know, as you were talking about your mom, I couldn't help but think of how many of those traits that you have as well, because you really are so good at serving people. That's one of the things that I admire about you most is you're always helping people. And um, I remember that um, you had your baby, you had Jed two weeks before I had Liam. You like showed up with a meal after I had Liam. I'm like, what are you doing? You have to bring me a meal. Like people should still be bringing you meals. <laughs> well, but you had just brought me a meal, and honestly, I think that meals when you have a baby should be brought the last two weeks of pregnancy because for me, those are the harder weeks than the first two weeks. <laughs> so you know, the world goes round. You had done this great thing for me, and it was just my turn to return. I think you have like a at least like a few month grace period that you shouldn't have to bring up the mail, but you're just like, you're so amazing and so thoughtful. And I feel like you're always helping people and you growing up with your mom and her teaching you those things. I feel like you are so much like her as well. And I love that about you. So. Well, thank you. That's honestly the biggest compliment that anyone could give me. I hope to be like a quarter of the woman that she is someday. So I appreciate that. Well, you're amazing. Okay, so I know that your family had a big tragedy. Can you tell us about that and kind of a little bit about that time period? Yeah, of course. So when I was almost nine, I was, yeah, eight and a half, my sister, just older than me, Amanda, and then my older brother, Tanner, were involved in a car accident that actually ended up taking both of their lives. Um, We were living at the time in eastern Colorado, 
And my grandparents for generations have has had a farm in Southwest Kansas. And my brother, every summer would go back and forth to work on the farm with my grandpa. And occasionally some of us siblings would tag along. And it was just one of those freak accidents that honestly, there's no way that this accident could happen again. They had just gotten into Kansas on this teeny tiny little road in the middle of nowhere, honestly, the middle of nowhere. A truck in front of them had a piece of equipment fall out of the bed of their pickup that my brother ended up hitting. Um, And that piece of equipment ran enough damage on the car that they didn't have control. And coming the opposite direction was a semi-truck that they um, hit head on. And my sister died on impact. And then my brother passed away within a few short minutes. And so, I mean, as I, I don't know, now that I'm a parent and I have my own children, I honestly, I cannot fathom this type of a loss. At the time, you know, it was a big loss and there was this huge hole in our family. and it was hard for me to process. I mean, what like eight year old can process that kind of a a loss. But now that I I look at my parents and having children of my own, I I honestly cannot even imagine that type of a loss. But this summer it will have been 20 years and it blows my mind that it has been 20 years because at the beginning people would say to us things like, Oh, the first year is going to be the hardest, but it'll get easier. Or, I, I don't know. People say the funniest things. It's kind of like when you're pregnant and people want to give you advice and you think, please just don't, don't say any other thing to me. But people would say funny things to us. And the one that we got the most frequently was it's going to be hard, but it'll get better and it'll get easier. And I will agree that those first few years were really painful. Really the loss was like so palpable in those first few years but the thing that has been interesting is that the loss has not necessarily gotten easier over the years. It has gotten more comfortable, more normal. That hole has become not so real or stark in our family. Things have adjusted. You know, we've all grown. All of us kids are grown now and have you know, gone to college and moved out of the house and married and all of that. But there are still the things that it is still really painful. And if I was to tell someone that had experienced something like this, I would, I don't think I would tell them that it'll get easier because it really doesn't, especially for my parents, because they have watched all of us grow and we've got cousins that are similar ages. And you watch as those cousins experience things and you think, I should have, you know, two more kids graduating high school, or I should have two more children that are getting married and having grandkids. And Think of how how much more full our house would be all of the time when the family gathers with two more children. And so in the sense of that, it hasn't gotten easier, but the pain has become just more normal and more of what life is, you know, and and what mortality is like and how, how we experience things has become just normal, you know? Yeah. How old were your siblings when they passed away? My sister was 11 and my brother 15. And in Kansas, if you're farming, you can have your license when you're 14. And so he had been driving for about a year and a half at that time. There's a few crazy things that happened in in conjunction with this event. 
the night before, I was supposed to be going on this trip with them. It was supposed to be me and my sister going out to spend the next two weeks with grandma while my brother farmed with grandpa. And the night before I got hit in the head with a baseball bat and I had <laughs> a whole bunch of stitches in my forehead. And so my mom had called grandma and said, you know, I think I'm going to keep Natalie home just to make sure that everything heals up right. I don't want to, you know, send that with you. And for a while, I I think I carried this sense of guilt with it because I felt like, no, I should have been there, which is, you know, looking back now, that feels almost silly. Um, there shouldn't be guilt with it, but it just felt so unfair and so stark and so different. I mean, my older sister and I were attached to the hip. We shared a room. We played school almost every day together. I mean, I can just remember our lives were so intertwined that it really, it just like left a big hole in our family as, you know, losing two of your five children would for any family. Yeah, Two children, any child, losing any child is a huge loss and leaves a hole and changes the dynamics in a way that is hard and different, but also we've seen some really big blessings come of it too. So it's not all doom and gloom over time. I think the, I mean, I would almost even go as far to say, I think that for me, the blessings sometimes almost outweigh the trial. And I think for me, that comes from, you know, being young and having the realities of, of life become so poignant at such a young age have um, made it so I had just a different perspective on the way that I looked at things or the ways that I, um, choices that I was making or interacting with friends. I think that for me, it really helped me make some probably better choices, especially during my teenage years than, I don't know, maybe I would have. So although it is a big, a big trial, it also has been a tremendous blessing for our family. Yeah. It's interesting how you were saying that you felt guilty because, you know, you're like, I should have been there and like maybe that you should have died with them or something like that. But it's, but it's interesting to think how sometimes, you know, talking about the baseball injury, how something like that, like very well, like could have saved your life and how sometimes getting stitches or like something like having this little hiccup or something that happens. And yeah. You're just like, Oh, this is awful, you know, and you think like at the time you're thinking, oh, I, you know, I can't go. I'm so sad. I can't go see my grandparents and you really weren't meant to, that wasn't your time to go. And also kind of having this sense of purpose that. Yeah, exactly. There's something that you are meant to stay here for. And you kind of have like your purpose here is not complete. Absolutely. And I think it also, it helps on the days when you are just like, you're at your, the end of your rope, right? You're frustrated. You've had a horrible day. You feel, I don't know, just down and not really yourself. It's, it's one of those things that for me has helped me kind of keep a purpose and, and keep that motivation and really keep positivity in my life is that, um, like for me, it has been very clear that I still I was still supposed to be here and there are things that I still have been, you know, supposed to be doing and growing and personal growth, but also sharing experiences with other people. And I, I mean, I often think that the trials that we go through and the, 
experiences that we have in life are often for us and to help us grow. But as time goes on, they equally become experiences for other people also, right? So that you can have empathy and you can, you can truly feel for other people and be there in their trials and in, in their own moments of suffering that as time goes on, it becomes less of a trial for you and more of a blessing for other people, which I think is just a really cool circle of life thing, you know? And it's interesting too, to think of how that's impacted both you and your mom of having such a tragedy and being able to then in return help so many other people because of that, which I feel like we talk about that a lot on the podcast, just how the hard things we go through, we're able to, better connect and love others because of what we felt, you know, and nobody goes through this life, not having hardship, but if you can kind of picture like the, somebody who like goes through life and had everything handed to them, they don't really like people that would have as much character as people that have hardship and kind of had to work through those difficult things. So. Oh, absolutely. It's so true. So if you could go back in time to the day that you found out that your siblings died, what do you think you would say to yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, honestly, I don't, I don't really know. I think because I was supposed to be on that trip with them, I've, I've obviously thought about this quite a bit. Um, but I think that if I could go back to that day, I would obviously say I love you like a hundred more times. (laughs) Just, just give more freely of myself. I think that, you know, as all siblings do when you're young, you fight, you quarrel, you argue over things. I remember my sister and I listened to books on tape a lot at night together. We at that time had been listening to our scriptures together at night and that day we had kind of had a little argument about who got to take the tape, if she was going to take the tape with, or if it was going to stay with me and how we would stay at the same spot, you know, this whole thing. And I mean, I'd like to say that it was a, you know, nice, calm conversation, but I'm sure that it was, had a little bit of argument to it. And, and it's those things where when you look back, those arguments, or those moments of frustration have no, there's no fruit to it. There's no purpose. Nothing is gained. No one leaves off better. And so I, if I could go back and, and change one thing, I think it would be those little conversations, those moments of having a better perspective of what things actually mattered and just giving giving more love and maybe one extra hug. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's good advice too for, I mean, a lot of times I think even with our kids or just our spouses or different things like that, sometimes we just, you know, make a big deal about something that's really not that big of a deal because we're just frustrated or different things like that. And I think it's good to remember that like we need to show love and build them up because we really don't know how much time we have with people. Yeah, absolutely. It is so true. And of course, like, you know that logically, but that I think is one of the biggest tricks in life to hold on to because it is so easy to lose sight of that, right? Of that perspective and of that, those experiences. It's so easy in a moment of like heat or frustration to let go of 
that perspective and to just, you know, allow those emotions to overcome you. So, you know, we've got to have those moments every once in a while to help us remember what's important. Yeah. And while you were dealing with that grief, you know, after finding out and feeling like you never, like you probably felt like you couldn't go on living, you know, what, what advice, like if you could, if the Natalie today could go back and talk to the cute little eight-year-old Natalie, what would you say to her? That's also a great question. My, I've talked with my mom actually recently quite a bit about how she dealt with that loss, how we all dealt with that loss. For me, the accident was followed with a lot of fear. Like I would not leave my parents' side because I was afraid if they went anywhere without me, they also were going to be in an accident. And then I wouldn't have parents and I wouldn't have siblings and I'd be left, you know, all alone. It was all of this big, scary thing for me as a little eight-year-old girl, right? And so I, you know, I think I would go back and tell myself just to, you know, be brave and, and to trust in the process and, and trust that, you know, you have a, a God that is aware of you, but really just to be brave. I, I didn't have, I mean, I wouldn't go anywhere for <laughs> the longest time without them. And, but over time, you know, all, all hurt heals. And I don't know, I would say I'm generally like a pretty optimistic person. And that's how I have dealt with it is through trying to find what could be um, a positive thing and trying to focus on the blessings and the things in my life more so than the hurt or the pain. And I mean, my mom, we've laughed quite a bit late recently because she's like, I probably should have seen a therapist. You know, I, I, maybe I probably still should see a therapist and we, you know, we joke about it, but for her, she's, she started sewing a lot and so my brother and sister passed away on June 25th. So Christmas day was exactly six months from their accident. And in those six months, my mom had made a quilt for like every member of our extended family, I'm pretty sure. And for her, that was just her way of coping with it. And the thing that is so interesting to me is that we all experience grief differently. We all feel it differently. I think, I mean, there's all of the different stages of grief that you, you know, you can read about. Um, but I think it's okay if you don't necessarily like fit into the mold or fit into what someone else says grief will feel like or experience or how long this will hurt. It, it's different for every single person and, and even different within our own family. I mean, we all have processed it very differently. My oldest sister, who was, I think, 17 at the time, which is already, I think, a hard stage of life, right? A 17-year-old girl in high school, that's already, you know, not our glory time. But to add on top of that, losing your brother, who's only 18 months younger than you, so they have been best friends forever, and your little sister. I mean, she has processed it very differently than I have and then my littlest brother, who was only two at the time, really probably didn't experience that grief, but has grown up hearing of these incredible siblings. So it's been so different for all of our family, but it's cool to see the growth that has come through it for all of us and how it almost was exactly what probably each of us needed to make that growth, if that makes sense. Yeah. What did grief look like for you? It's been a evolving process and it still is, right? It's still something that I experience at times. I mean, there's definitely days where I think what I would not give to have my sister who's just a, you know, a few years older than me 
for us to have all of our little kids running around and our house is just full of little voices and little footsteps. And so sometimes it, it hurts and that pain is very palpable, but I mean, I already mentioned this. I like to try and find the positives and things because I don't really like feeling sad. It's just not really in me. And so usually when I start to feel sad about things, my antidote is either service or working really hard. I mean, you know this, Liz, we bought this fixer-upper out in Dallas and worked our guts out trying to renovate it or fixing the yard, you know, all of these things. And you're, it's not like a typical fixer-upper where you'll gut it and then like hire people to come do stuff. You guys like literally built your own cabinets. You guys put in, like retag your back <laughs> yourself and did, and the house seriously looked unbelievable. When you moved, I'm like, how could you leave that beautiful house? <laughs> I know. Years. I know. I know. It's so, it is. It is so, it was sad to leave, but also, you know, good things are ahead. So, but it's true. I, I just, a great antidote, antidote for me is to get my hands dirty, to really work hard. And I guess in a way, it's a way that I, you know, block out what I am currently feeling. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but for me, it's, you know, it's worked for 20 years. So I think I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep going with it. But that, and then honestly, I think the tried and true for everyone is service. I think that when you um, step outside of yourself and find someone that is also hurting in, in a way, it doesn't have to be the same um, and do something for them. It literally, it heals a part of your heart and there's nothing that does it better than serving someone else. And most of the time it's serving people in my family. It's, you know, the little things that you do. And oftentimes as a mother, you just do all of the things, you know, and it's what we do in our day. But I've been trying to make an effort lately to view some of the things that I do normally as acts of service. And I don't know, it's made me kind of appreciate the things that I'm doing as a mother a little bit more. So <laughs> there's that much. Yeah, I love that. But I also think it's, it's important to remember that it's okay to be sad. It is. And I think that I'm a lot like you in the way that I feel like being sad is an uncomfortable feeling. Being mad, being sad, like those kind of so-called negative emotions feels uncomfortable and it's a lot easier to drown it out with other things or distractions or different things like that. But I think it's I think it's healthy for us to allow ourselves to to feel sad and that there, we shouldn't look at with your siblings dying or whatever loss that people experience that there's not a time limit on it. It's not like, okay, you can be sad for this year or these like 10 years. Absolutely. On your wedding day or different days like that, that you really miss them. It's okay to say, I'm happy about X, Y, and Z, but I'm also sad that they're not here. And that's still a loss that you're continuing to experience. Oh, absolutely. And I also think that, you know, we live in a world today where it is so easy for us to compare ourselves to others. Our lives and our emotions and our feelings are so available and so easily accessible that it's easy to do exactly that and just think, oh, I can only grieve for a year or 
I can only feel this emotion for a year or, oh, look at, you know, Susie down the road. She's handling this so well. And here I am a mess in my room, bawling my eyes out with, you know, a bucket of chocolate chips. And we compare ourselves. And I think that especially with grief and with a loss, and I'm not saying that it has to be a, a, you know, a loss of a child or of a person. I mean, there are so many forms of, of loss that the grieving process is, is so personal and unique to each of us. And it is through that process that we are growing. And so like, just let it happen and, and let it be, take the evolution for your life that it is supposed to, um, because it, it, hopefully, you know, in the end, it becomes something that is beautiful and has refined you in a way that honestly, nothing else could. I love that. That's beautiful. So tell us, how did this accident change your family dynamic? Uh, It changed it a lot. My oldest sister is almost to the day. She's eight years older than I am. And then, so Lindsay's my oldest sister. And then we lost my brother and sister between her and I. And then my younger brother, I've already mentioned, is six years younger than I am. And so we just have these kind of these big gaps in our family now, right? Like my sister moved out of the house and was married and was having kids. And I'm still in high school and my little brother's in elementary. You know, like there's just been these big gaps. And when my brother and sister that passed away were here, you didn't have that feeling at all. But it definitely has like left some holes in our family that the older we get, those the age differences don't feel as big as they once did on my mom's side of the family there's five kids and they all of my mom and her siblings kind of had kids at the same time so for me I have cousins that are my same age and all of us have cousins that are our same age and that has been I mean just the most fun wonderful thing ever to have so many cousins that we love and get along with and have been able to play with and for us, now that me and my own siblings are having children, I mean, my oldest sister is done having kids. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a baby, and, you know, we're still having kids. And then my younger brother just recently was married, and so he hasn't started having kids yet. And there's a part of me that just aches that there won't be a ton of cousins that overlap. And, I mean, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. But as far as a family dynamic goes, it's just different than what you know, my mom expected or what we all grew up with. At the same time, I think that I'm closer to my older sister than I would have been. Things have just naturally kind of fallen into that. Yeah, it would probably would have been natural, more natural for you to look to Amanda because she would have just been going through things like before, but... Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, you know, I think that it has become a blessing for our family. The ache is still there. It's still hard. I mean, this year will be 20 years and my mom keeps saying, you know, this is a year to celebrate and we're going to do something as a family to really celebrate this day that is, you know, usually really hard. And I think that it does become beautiful to celebrate life and to to think back and, and reflect on the incredible people that my brother and sister were and are and the things that we still today can learn from like their example. It, it is incredible to look back on a life. Tell us a little bit about how you met your husband, Zach. Yes. So we met at college at Brigham Young University. I was going into my senior year, about to graduate. He still had 
I think three years at the time. We had mutual friends, um, and so we had invited, my roommate and I had invited a, a group of our friends over for, you know, a game night, some dessert, and he was coming with. And, I mean, this story just kills me. It makes me laugh still to this day, you know, almost six and a half years later. But my roommate had actually been on a date with him. She was interested in him, and she had asked me, you know, check this guy out. Let me know what you think about him. And honestly, his first impression was not that great. <laughs> it, it didn't go over well. And uh, I mean, I we joke about this all the time, but my words to her were, quote, you're better than that. I don't think he's worth your time. <laughs> Which is just hilarious because, you know, he's an incredible person and I had judged way prematurely. So uh, the next few weeks, we kept running into each other. I mean, what was it about him that you thought he wasn't worth your time? Oh, I mean, I don't, this is going to sound just so uh, snooty of me, but. Um, it can be off the record, too. No, it's, it's okay. It can be on the record, too. I mean, it's nothing I haven't told him. He had just gotten back from a summer of summer sales. He had been down in Las Vegas. So he walks in and he's like super tan. I mean, all he had done was sell pest control and then work out. So he's like way fit, super tan. He had on a shirt that was probably like two sizes too small, I'm sure. Just, you know, showing <laughs> off all its muscles. And I was like, just so not impressed with that. <laughs> oh, so funny. And it just, I, from like the second he walked in, I was like, no, he thinks he's cool. You're like, this guy has no he's just a gym rat exactly exactly that's i mean yeah just he's just another provo bro like that's how i felt right which was super judgy of me and i have worked over the years to become a less judgy person but you know we all can't be perfect (laughs) well i would venture to say that you worked pretty hard in the next few years or months if you ended up marrying him, right? Yeah, exactly. So for the next few uh, weeks, I kept running into him places. And I was at a kind of a back-to-school party at a friend of mine, and he showed up. And we started talking, and all of a sudden, our conversation was just, like, running away with us. And we were so – I mean, there was a whole bunch of people there, but it would it was almost like it was he and I in a room having this very personal conversation. And so we ended up leaving the party, went and got some sodas, some shack sodas from the gas station and went to a park. And I, th- I mean, I think we talked until 3 a.m. And all of a sudden, this person that I had like judged pretty harshly became a really genuine, real good person. And I was just, he was different than anyone I had ever dated before. It was just refreshing. He was so refreshing. And I mean, fast forward four months, we're engaged. Another four months, we're married. And I don't know. It it all just happened so quickly. And there's a a friend of mine and, you know, one of my older friends that when I was probably 15 gave me this piece of advice that has stuck with me so – this little nugget has just stuck with me so long. And she said, Natalie, there will be a lot of boys that you date – that you are good for, but there will be very few boys that are good for you in return. And she said, you need to wait for the boy that is good for you. And at the time, I mean, as a 15 year old, I probably was like, yeah, that's great. Great advice. Like, that sounds like a 
Be a quote on my wall. Yeah, exactly, page. exactly. But um, when I met Zach, it was like clear as day. He pushed me in every sense of the word. He pu- pushed me intellectually. He pushed. He challenged me spiritually. He challenged me on every level, and it was just like so refreshing. And still to this day, he is the one that like pushes me and keeps me going and is helping me to grow. Which is really, it's just really cool that you know, that was something that had stuck with me for so long. And he is the literal manifestation of that quote, you know? So I just started reading a book today called Mindset. We're reading it for our book club. And we literally were just talking about with people having like a fixed mindset or a growth mindset and what, what they like their ideal is in a spouse and how people who are in a fixed mindset want somebody who like praise them and just tell them how wonderful they are, which I'm like, that sounds great to me. (laughs) They were saying that someone with a growth mindset, (laughs) like it helps them to improve and be better, points out their imperfections and helps them grow. And so they were kind of saying how sometimes in like a relationship, if you have like opposites, it could be a nightmare but when you were talking about that I'm like well you are the definition of like a growth mindset you're always yourself, helping you're doing all these things and so it sounds like you have <laughs> your funny. ideal match to help you and I feel like you have to be pretty amazing to keep up with you oh I definitely did and I think Zach's an awesome dad and husband he's he's a, he's a great guy I'm glad that the I'm glad that the muscles and the, the extra small teeth and it deter you for yeah too me too me too I'm glad I could and then you started helping him see what size clothes he should wear <laughs> exactly he actually it stressed me out so much in the beginning because he was like so fashion aware and you know his watch that you totally get this because you know Zach but his his watch matched his shirt and his socks and everything was so perfectly coordinated in the first few months of his dating it literally stressed me out to get ready for a date because I was like does this really match I mean I had never questioned my fashion sense so much in my entire life until we started dating which is just so funny and you know now we're old merry folk and we're just happy to get ready in the day you know Nate was the opposite he wore like everything he wore was from Costco <laughs> and most of his t-shirts were from when he was 16 and they had like holes in them oh, and so stuff funny. Anyways, he's definitely, his fashion sense has improved over the years. And I definitely feel like, you know, work and having to like dress up and stuff has definitely helped that all out. But we look at pictures of when we got engaged and like laugh at both of our outfits. Wow, we, we just really didn't know what to wear. It's so funny. (laughs) Well, I want you to tell us about your startup and why you decided to start a diaper bag company. Yes. Okay. I mean, this is a beast in and of its own. It has been such a journey. Oh, man. And you've been along for most of it. So props to you for uh, being one of the loyal first friends in this whole experience. Um, So about three and a half years ago, the start of it all came from, I was inspired by by my sister-in-law, who is an incredible photographer. And she's got four kids. And the way that she captures them in photo, it, I mean, it's just incredible. And so over Christmas, I had kind of been inspired by some images of hers that I had seen. And I came home and I said, Zach, I really want a camera. How do you feel about it? So we ended up buying, you know, a nice, a nice little camera, nothing extravagant, but a nice camera. One that I was not confident in putting in my diaper bag next to like a bottle that might potentially spill and ruin 
this camera that at the time I felt like I had just spent a fortune on. I, you know, I spent some time researching different diaper bags or different camera bags and trying to find something that would work as one because I, there was not a chance in this earth that I was going to carry two bags also while hauling the child and expecting to eat. You know, that it was just like too much. Like, right? Your hands are already so full. The last thing you need is an extra bag. Exactly. So, so full. And so after a few weeks of frustration, Zach said to me, well, honey, you sew, like you've sewn things before. You've got a sewing machine in the closet. Why don't you pull it out and just sew something that works? And I mean, my naivety through this whole process is almost laughable, but great growth has come from it. So I started sewing bags. Not that I had ever really sewn a bag before, especially not like a leather bag. So I started sewing. It took me a few iterations to get a bag that actually like functioned and was what I wanted and kind of had a separate compartment for my camera and the bag. And I mean, fast forward three years, it has evolved so much. It has become, we have a compartment for a bag, but we also have, it has this modular system. It's intended for families that are going on outings or traveling and you can pick different, we call them pods. They're essentially packing cubes for your day's outing. So if you are, you know, headed for a picnic, there's one that is a thermal regulated. It's like a lunch bag. We have one that is antimicrobial and can be thrown in the washer. And so that's great if you have a blowout or if you're, you know, potty training kids and there's lots of pee pee pants, all these things. And so we've, we've spent really the past three and a half years working with factories in Indonesia and in China and all these places trying to get a bag that we are really happy with. And we have finally made it to that point. I mean, heaven help me if I would have known how long it would take <laughs> when I started again, this is my naivety actually being a blessing. If I would have known in the beginning, I would have never probably kept going. I think one of the blessings of like trying to start your own thing or really doing anything is that when you don't know, you kind of blindly just keep pushing on and through that process has come, I mean, incredible growth for myself as an individual, especially being a stay-at-home mom. I've got, you know, three little boys. Sometimes it's really easy, I think, as a parent to kind of lose yourself and your sense of worth or things that you're interested in. Or even your identity, right? Exactly. It is so easy to lose that, especially when your kids are little, little. And for me, this project has challenged me so much intellectually. It has challenged me on so many levels that I feel like I have kept this sense of like self-worth self and this motivation that is disconnected from my role as a mother. And that is not to lessen the incredible role of being a mother, but I have for me, just like my mom working out in the morning and studying, that is a fuel for her. This has been a fuel for me. And this is a way that I kind of have been able to recharge and regroup. And honestly, it, I think it has made me a better mom because I have had something that I'm really passionate about and have been, you know, since I've spent a lot of years working on. It's amazing. And the bag is so beautiful. I remember when you first and that you got from, you were like, the... I can't remember if it was from China or one of the factories had sent it back and you were like, there's still work to do, but like we got our first thing, like they misinterpreted some of these things, but I remember like seeing that and then just seeing pictures of the bag now. I'm like, this bag is gorgeous. It's beautiful. And just, I am so proud of you. I think it's amazing what you've done. 
And I mean, it's been a lot of work, which I mean, you kind of said you had no idea that it would take this long. Has it been hard for you that it's taken so long to be able to get the bags and everything? Oh, absolutely. I think that the time has been the hardest part of it, Um, especially because it's hard to keep up like that level of intensity and excitement and motivation on a project when it drags out over years, right? Like there have been a lot of times where I have thought, forget it. Like we're just going to throw in the towel. This has been a fun project. Let's move on to the next thing that actually is moving forward. Um, So I would say like one of the greatest things that I've learned from this is like really sticking to something that you start. Um, And I mean, who knows? It might still become nothing. And that's okay. Because Zach and I were talking just about a week ago, we were on a little bit of a road trip and we were talking about this whole process and how, how much growth and everything has come from it. And he goes, if you don't, if it doesn't turn into a big company and we end up, you know, in the next year or two, deciding to move on to something else, will you have, will you feel like you've failed? And it was such an interesting question for me because honestly, in the sense of the world, it would be a failure. But for me, I have, you could not put a number, a dollar sign on my personal growth and confidence and joy that has come from this project. And so it already has been a success just in the sense that for me personally, it has been a success, if that makes sense. I love that. Yeah, it makes total sense. Well, that's amazing. I love that. And I think it just shows how much hard work really can pay off, you know, and like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be a price tag either. So I I hate to keep saying, oh, I just read this book, but we also (laughs) I also just finished Shoe Dog. Have you read that? I haven't, no. It's Phil Knight. He's the guy who started Nike. Yes. And I'm not like a big like reading business books, but it was really good. And it was amazing to see how much work it it took for them to start Nike. I mean, you kind of look at these huge corporations and you're like, oh, wow, you just look how much money you're worth, you know, but then you read this book and you're like, you deserve every penny because it was so hard and there were so many obstacles to overcome, but it's just, it was really inspiring. So I'm going to have to give it a listen to Yeah, listen to it or read it, whatever motive. Yes. (laughs) For me, it'll probably be listening to it. (laughs) Audio. If not, I don't know if I'm going to read it. Oh, too funny. So, I'm in the same boat. So what do you think surprised you the most about a startup? Honestly, exactly that. The amount of work that goes into it. I think it's so easy um, as consumers to sit back and look at a company, even pretty small boutique companies and think, oh, look at this. They did these two things and now they're making a million dollars a year, $5 million a year, you know, whatever it is. But honestly, like up to this point, we have made very, very little money. I mean, actually, we haven't made any money. We are still way in the hole, and we will be probably for a long time. But that's besides the point. But honestly, it's the amount of work that goes into it. Because you you hear people's, like, the glorified version of their story of starting something. But no one really tells you all that much about literally the thousands of hours that go into all of the fine details and writing copy and deciding your policies and legal things and you know all of the little details that come into actually starting something and and especially something that you're passionate about and yes I'm passionate about this bag but more so 
our mission of like trying to inspire parents to go and do things with their children and create memories that are lasting and trying to convey that message. You know, all of these things that work into creating a, a brand and a company, it is so much work. And I will never, ever look at any other company, any other startup again with, you know, passive eyes of thinking, wow, look, they made it big so quickly because the reality is no one very rarely does anyone make it big quickly. Like they all have had years of work before anyone ever knew about them yeah. and, you know, sleepless nights where they were trying to figure out what decisions to make and if they should keep pushing on or if they should throw in the towel, you know, all of those decisions that come, but it's a lot of work. That being said, yeah. I don't ever want to discourage anyone from, from doing this. When I was kind of at the beginning, I sat down with um, someone who owns a multi, multi, multi-million dollar company. I, I asked, and, and it's a, a female, so she, and she has kids. And I asked her, you know, what advice would you give to me? And she, honestly, she said, don't do it. If I knew the sacrifices it would take, and granted, she is running a probably close to a billion dollar company now. And I hope to never reach that level. But at the time, I was like, that is the most discouraging advice you could give me. Like, where are the positive things? And so, I mean, for me, at the point that I'm at, I would tell anyone, if you've got a dream, like, go for it. And if the doors all close, then you can happily walk away knowing that that's not what you're supposed to be spending your time doing. And you can move on to the next thing. Or you can find this wonderful thing that you're passionate about and potentially can become a means of providing well for your family and go for it. You know, why not? Well, and you think about how much startups and just like different innovations and inventions and things and like how they've transformed our lives. And if people would have just given up then to think of like all the modern conveniences that we have, that if people wouldn't really just kind of push through with their grit and hard work, absolutely, our world would be so, so different. So have you found it hard to find a balance between work and family? For the most part, no. And that's probably just because we are still in the very beginning stages, very small. But I will say at the very beginning, when Zach and I sat down and we're we're discussing the possibilities of this and kind of setting some boundaries for um, what we wanted it to be. And, and Zach has been my greatest champion through this whole process. He has, he's been single-handedly the person that has kept this project going because he has been so supportive and so encouraging of, of this, you know, project in dream of mine. But I said to him in the very beginning, the day that this company becomes a higher priority than taking care of my kids and being a mother is the day that I've crossed a line that I don't want to cross and I will close the doors and walk away from it. And for me, that is a very easy decision to make because my children and my family will always be a higher priority, but that looks different for everyone else. Yeah. Often you think about work and family being opposing forces but I think it's really cool. So right now I work during afternoon naps and in the evening and every single day that is kind of like my time to work. And it's become this cool thing because every time that I go and lay Jed down for a nap, he says, what are you doing? And I say, oh, I've got to go work. And there's something like so encouraging to me to know that my boys at a very young age are watching their mom do something that she is passionate about and she's chasing a dream and she's working hard 
just like dad is, but in a, you know, in a different way. But I want my kids to always know that like, if they have a dream that they should go for it, they should follow it. They should be passionate about it. They should commit to something and, you know, go wholeheartedly. So for me, I've been trying to recently because there's definitely a lot of mom guilt that comes in on all different surfaces of life. But I've been really trying to focus with this and finding the positives and how to like include my family and my kids in this and not make them be opposing forces. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so inspiring. And I think that you're such a good example of being able to go after your dreams and, but also setting boundaries and knowing, you know, what works best for you. And I think, you know, every, every family, they, that looks different for everyone. And I think that the most important thing is that we can kind of be cheerleaders and encourage like other women or other men to go after their dreams and not, you know, shame people for doing things differently than the way you do. Oh, absolutely. That we all have different callings in life and sometimes they're starting businesses and sometimes it's helping in the community and sometimes it's in your family and, you know, and sometimes it's a combination of, all of those things. And I think really finding that passion and finding, you know, what your calling is. And I think that's going to help your kids in ways that like being an example that, that, you know, if you just live your life kind of just by obligation with no you know life in you, then that's not going to help them as much as seeing you happy and passionate and full of life and accomplishing your goal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think that the world has enough critics, right? Like there's enough people that are out there trying to tear other people down. Like why not be the person that is cheering on every other person? Like the world just needs more people that are saying, yeah, go for it. Like you, you do it. Yeah. I'll support you hundred percent of the way, you know? Yeah. I think so too. One of my good friends here in Dallas, I love she always says that women who can learn to be happy for other women are the happiest kind of women. That is, And I think that works for men too. But I think that, I think it's a real problem when people are threatened by other people's successes. But I feel like the, the best people that you want to be around are the people that can be genuinely happy for your successes. And absolutely. Well, I have one last question for you, and that's if you could go back in time to any stage of life and give yourself advice, where would you go and what would you say? That is a loaded question, Liz. (laughs) I mean, I could choose a lot. I probably would go back to my college self, so probably about 20. I would tell my 20-year-old self, Natalie, that she had a more beautiful life ahead of her than she could ever imagine. I would tell her to focus on her relationship with God. I would tell her to push herself intellectually. And ultimately I would tell her that she had incredible things on the horizon, really just right around the corner and just, yeah, just to stay, stay positive, stay happy, be kind always. I think that kindness can go a long ways. And so I would tell that 20 year old Natalie that, she had a lot of good things coming. That's awesome. I love that. You know, it's just, I think about it every once in a while. I mean, I ask everyone this question, but you're kind of like, 
what would you do if you saw yourself? You're like, what are you doing? And why do you have so many wrinkles? <laughs> right. Did you not put on sunscreen? Come on. <laughs> Where's the sunscreen? <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I love chatting with you tonight. Oh, it's been such a joy, such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Liz. It's always a delight to, to talk with you. This is Liz Gardner. Thanks for listening to Letters to My Younger Self. The last episode with Ian, I mentioned that I had a few things working on talking about Black Lives Matter and racism, and I have not forgotten about that. I'm still working on it, so I hope you'll stay tuned and come back and listen to Letters to My Younger Self. Thanks for all your support.